Well, I am so excited today to launch into our second part of our Connect Group series, The Space Between, and I want to give a special shout out to the ladies across all three campuses who gathered on Friday night, and uh, they all came together in here. We had over 1,200 women crazy about Jesus, loving each other, hanging out afterwards, and um, so cool, so proud, and my dream is that uh, we continue to see every generation connecting to each other and finding their place. And, of course, Susie did a great job, I heard, and uh, brought the word. And um, so cool. As we uh, go into part two today, I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. Maybe you weren't here. Um, but we didn't just talk about it on a Sunday morning, but we talked about it in our connect groups throughout the week, which hopefully you're taking pictures and doing the hashtag, the space between, and posting on social media. I saw several of you do it this past week. But we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. And, and when he said in John 10.10 10, that, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have a rich and satisfying life. He was simply saying not that you become wealthy individuals, but that you be whole and find a, a, a complete life, a satisfying life. And Jesus offers that. And in that context, Jesus also calls himself the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. And he said if we follow him, he will lead us into that rich and satisfying life. He will lead us into that place of wholeness. And no matter what season of life that we're in, we can discover what Jesus has to offer. And, of course, wherever we are right now, the starting point is who we are and the season of life that we're in and the status of our relationships and our personhood, our spirituality. And then there's a space between where we are and what Jesus offers. And as a church, we're wanting to move toward that dream that Jesus offers, that possibility, what God's possible is for our life. And, of course, that means we need to learn to listen to the good shepherd's voice. And as we listen to him, he will lead us. And he's a good leader. Can I get an amen to that? One of the key factors in week number two for us to find and listen to the voice of God and the good shepherd is learning to have a sustainable pace that allows us to rest and receive the rest that God has for us so that we can live it out during the week. And in a crazy culture of busyness and cell phones with interrupting messages and people coming after us. We have to fight to have that rest that only God offers. And I thought about this, prayed about it, and I felt like there was no better expert in the whole wide world than my predecessor at the church, Pastor Dwight Denyus, because he has lived a life that has been sustainably healthy. He's gone through physical challenges. He's gone through career changes. He was a very successful business owner with Many, many employees, and then God called him to come to the church to be a pastor, and he made a career transition, and then he handed the baton off to me, and he's doing well in this season of life. So I thought I could interview him myself, or I could bring him to the pulpit and have him preach to his church once again. Would you welcome to the pulpit Pastor Dwight Denyes? It's good to see so many friends here. And Maple Grove, Sue and I will not be there this morning. We are typically at Maple Grove, 
uh, many Sundays. Uh, Elk River, we had the opportunity, I had the opportunity to go up there and see what God was doing uh, one Sunday morning. It was just great. So it's wonderful to be here with you. My dad would be so happy and proud of, of you all, of Pastor Nate and Jody. This was a healthy church. It's been a healthy church for decades. And we continue to see it thrive and flourish and grow. Five years ago, next month, we began in the congregation the process of transition as we realized that God was transitioning this church into something new with new leadership. I had known for a number of years that my job was that of a transitional leader, a leader between leaders, a leader between two long-term leaders. To use a baseball analogy, I knew that I would not get the win, but I could get the loss. So the, I stepped in and was senior pastor for seven years, and during that period of time, came to understand my role as a transitional leader, and we believed that God had been preparing the next senior pastor of Emmanuel for a number of years. And through a spirit-led process, I'm glad that God directed us to Pastor Nate. We continue. We continue to see God doing wonderful things here. This continues to be our home church for both Sue and I. And many times in the transition, and they're very tricky things for churches, particularly churches of our size. And we've gone through two of them successfully. But this continued to be our home church. And as we had committed to you, we would often slip in late and maybe slip away a little early, attempting to keep a very low profile so that Pastor Nate and Jody could be established and successfully move into everything that God was calling them to do. We are snowbirds, so we spend part of the winter in southwest Florida where the hurricanes have been. And we have a home church down there for Florida, but this is truly our home. We're at the lake in the summer oftentimes, and we're at the Bible camp and the outdoor sanctuary there. And I will tell you, they have a better sanctuary than we have. It's hard to beat God's outdoors by a lake. But I'm so grateful for all that God continues to do here. I'm so grateful that you have hung in there God had promised us that he was going to move this church into new things. And I remember standing here in October five years ago saying, why would God want to move us into new things? It sounds exciting, but we have to move away from things that are safe and predictable and comfortable and stretch ourselves a bit. And you have hung with us. Many of you have been here a long time, and many of you are new. This is our first opportunity to see you, but this is a great place. It's had leadership that has been credible and has walked faithfully before the Lord. And you've given the leaders of this church a great deal of latitude and your trust and your confidence. God gives his leaders favor. In other words, likability so that we can accomplish, so that these leaders can accomplish the, everything that God has for us. So I want to encourage you to continue to trust and follow the leadership of this church. I'm glad to call Pastor Nate Roosh not only my friend, but my pastor. Well, this morning we're talking about...
This morning we're talking about making room for rest. And as we look into the Holy Scripture, we see that two practices were established by God at creation. The practices of work and rest. Every one of us here, everyone you know, was created by God to work, but we were also created to rest. And these two practices are important. Why? Because work and rest fill so many moments of our lives. The extent to which you can master these two things and do them well will in many ways define the quality of your life. The quality of your work and the quality of your rest will add great joy or great frustration to your life. In your later years, whenever those are, you'll want to look back into the practices of your daily life with joy and satisfaction at a life well lived before God. The scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, on the seventh day, God had finished his work. I like that. God set out to do something, and it says that he had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. Why would God rest? Was he tired? No, I don't think so. He most likely wasn't tired. But it says that he rested from all his work. Verse 3 says, And God blessed the seventh day, and not only did he bless it, but he declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God worked, and then God rested. After his work, he made time intentionally made time to pause and rest and reflect on his creation. And God gave us an example of rest. For so many of us, rest does not come easily. There are so many demands and so many opportunities that come at us continually from every direction. So I want to encourage you to prioritize and to schedule not only work, but rest into your life. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about two different aspects of rest, okay? And this is the first aspect. It's six days labor, one day rest. Six days labor, one day rest. I led, co-led a sales organization with hundreds of sales executives for many years, as Pastor Nate said, before I transitioned into vocational ministry. And one of the principles that I in, attempted to continually instill in the people that were part of our organization is six days labor and one day, six days labor and one day rest. Why? For sustainability. You are important to God. <laughs> and you're important to your family. You are often people that need to accomplish things and need to do them for long periods of time, often decades. When I was a young person in my mid-20s, I became self-employed. I became the product. I had to take care of myself because I had no salary. And I knew in my mid-20s that I would hopefully live for decades, so I had to set up a program, an internal compass, so that I had a reasonable likelihood of successfully navigating through all the stages and transitions of life that were ahead of me. Now, hopefully, every one of us still has time. We don't know when the end will come. 
We've all lost friends in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. It can end, but it can also go a long period of time. My father-in-law's in in his mid-90s, and last year he was on the roof of his house again. (laughs) And it's hard to believe, but he is of sound mind, even though he was on the roof. (laughs) Normally in the joke, I think it's grandma's on the roof, isn't it? There's a great passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Pastor Nate built part of a message in August on this verse. And it's a verse I love. I'd been circling around it earlier. That's often the way God works. He weaves thoughts and ideas through his church. And what I like about this is whatever age or stage we are at in life, there's a model here. God has taken each and every one of us and he's placed us somewhere very specifically. And in this story of the very first person, he placed him in the Garden of Eden, a place that God himself had created, the scripture tells us. So God has placed each one of us somewhere. Now, that doesn't mean that wherever he's placed you, you'll be there forever. No. Often in life, our assignment changes. The Lord of the harvest, who if we're followers of Christ, we all report to, he deploys and redeploys his workers frequently. Now, some of us labor at the same place for decades. My friends, Rocky and Sherry Gramps, they've been in Buenos Aires at the Bible school for decades, since the late 1970s. God has placed them there. But most of us were deployed and redeployed. So whether you're a student, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're someone fighting a chronic, significantly scary illness, whether you're retired, God has placed you somewhere. It's somewhere that's important to God. And then, secondly, God has given you something to do. He's given you something to take care of. He's given you work. I remember when I was a kid, I had to get up when it was dark and go deliver newspapers on my bicycle. This is before people delivered newspapers. Do you know what a newspaper is? <laughs> I frequently lose people. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Well, now, for those rare people who get a newspaper, they're delivered in automobiles by adults, but I used to get up as a kid and drive, ride a bicycle back in Melody Manor, right over there. And there were mornings I didn't want to do that. My dad would say, that's why they call it work. compassionate. (laughs) So there's work to do. Some days will be fun and some days will be easy and some days it's going to rain pitchforks and bowling balls, but our faithfulness is tested. There's work to do and there's things to take care of. Then things might be things and they might be people, relationships, but there are things because God has placed you there. There are things that he wants you to take care of that are important to him. And then lastly, I already gave the last one, never mind. (laughs) The scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, whatever you do, do it well. Life is too long to do it badly. If you're going to do it, learn to do it well. Now, when we start out doing stuff, it's okay to be incompetent, okay? When we start a new task, we are consciously incompetent. In other words, we are terrible and we know it. 
And then if we have the courage or the foolishness to hang in there, we can become consciously competent. In other words, if we really focus our attention and think about things, we can get it done correctly. And then the third stage is we are unconsciously competent. We don't even have to think about it. We can do it well. It's kind of like how you drove to church this morning. Well, maybe that's not a good example. <laughs> but you don't even have to think about it. If Whatever you do, do it well. And then the scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. That's a crazy idea. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do. I can work hard, but I don't necessarily want to be cheerful about it. I'd like to complain or let you know in my own subtle way what a great sacrifice I'm undertaking so that I can work hard. Or other days I'm more than happy to be cheerful, but I'm probably a bit of a slacker. God is saying that wherever you work and whatever you do, it's a platform. It's a platform. It's not a stage. It's a platform. And we are surrounded wherever we are at in life, even if we're retired. We're surrounded by people that are watching us to see are we doing the things that God has entrusted to us, are we doing, are we working hard, are we applying ourselves, and are we being cheerful? The scripture says to work as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and the master that you are serving is Christ. What's it saying here? People always say, what do you do? What do you do for a living, okay? What do you do? It's not what you do, but it's how we do it. That's what's most important. It's how we do what we do. And it's who we become as we do it. Those are the things that are really, really important. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Observe, this is God speaking through Moses, Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days a week are set apart for your daily duties and regular work. But the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. And this includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkey and other livestock and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Verse 15, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with amazing power and mighty deeds. And that is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Again, we're reminded that God had rested from his work of creation. And we're also asked to intentionally disengage from our work. And that resting or practicing the Sabbath is one of the ways that we have an opportunity to gain perspective and reflect on the meaning of our work and in our life. In verse 15, I love verse 15, we also see that the Sabbath gives us an opportunity to remember how the Lord God delivered his people from a time when they were slaves, when their only value was based on what they were able to produce for their masters. If we work and work and work and work without rest, we too are in danger of becoming slaves. And also in verse 15, he says, remember what I've done for you. 
Remember that the Lord your God brought you out of slavery. It's a beautiful, it's, it's, a, it's a profound and poignant story. You can read about it in, in Exodus chapter 3. It's a powerful story. And it begins there how God brought them out of slavery and captivity. Has God brought you out of some things? As we pause and step away and have an opportunity to think and recall and remember When we remember the great things that God has done, it builds our faith and gratitude. One day, a young man named David was standing on the edge of a battlefield, and he saw a giant from the enemies of God's people blaspheming God and his people. And David said, I can take him. I was born to defeat that man. And everybody tried to get him to be quiet and shut him up. And they took him before the king of Israel, before Saul. And David, when he was asked, said to Saul, he began to remember. David began to remember things that God had done for him, things that he had been a part of, things that he had experienced, things that he had witnessed. And he said to his king, he said, I'm a shepherd. I'm low on the food chain of life. I look after a handful of sheep. And there were times when lions and bears would attack the sheep that had been entrusted to me. And I would go out with a club and pursue those lions and bears and kill them to rescue my sheep. Okay? What's that? That was a memory. That was a memory that David was calling out of the past. And he was telling a true story Stories of what God had done, stories of God's greatness. And David looked at his king and he said, the God who helped me deliver my sheep from the lion and bear will help me defeat Goliath. Memories, as you remember God's faithfulness, will stir up faith and gratitude. But sometimes we need to step back and take a day of rest. Now we said there were two types of rest. One was one day in seven, and the other is rest within your daily life. Now, for one day in seven, you may say, oh, man, you're just giving me something else to do. Jesus had very little time or sympathy for religious teachers or leaders who laid rules and regulations on people that were attempting to find God. But here's what Jesus said about the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus said about six days labor, one day rest. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made to benefit people, not people to benefit the Sabbath. I believe that's true. I actually believe what Jesus is saying. That this is something that's for our good. Keeping the Sabbath is an act of trust and humility. It reminds us that we do not keep the world running. The world will go on running long after you and I are gone, but we have a a tendency to think that if we don't put in the hours, if we don't get it done, the projects won't keep moving forward. But we need to remember, in the hours that we are devoting to work, we do not work alone. Okay? Now, here's the other type of rest that's offered. Are you with me? We're transitioning now. We're going to go down a little bit different track. And this is a fabulous track because this is important. What have we talked about? We've talked about 
stepping back one day out of seven. But what if your internal world in all seven days is kind of messed up and skewed up and out of place? That's what we're going to talk about. How can you find rest within your everyday life? Listen, in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 32, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Yippee! Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They were busy. We don't miss many meals. <laughs> so they left by a boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Okay? Unimaginable ministry opportunities, big important stuff to do, lots of the big mo, lots of momentum, building their brand, all these things. What's Jesus say? No, we're walking away. So this is rest outside of the Sabbath. It's Jesus offering rest to us within our daily lives. Jesus offers rest to us within our daily lives. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, one of the great passages in the entire Bible. Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. In this room, we can't begin to imagine the unimaginable things that people are facing. But Jesus says to each and every person, come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus is offering rest within your daily life as you listen to him, as you turn towards him, as you focus on him, as you walk near to him, as you turn and incline yourself towards him. You have an opportunity to learn from him. What does his rest look like? It's peaceful living. His rest is freedom from anxiousness and anxiety. His rest is a, a pervasive, ongoing sense of well-being within any situation. His rest is a clear sense that you're not alone or on your own. Within a year after me leaving this pulpit in this church, I was diagnosed with lung cancer, an uncommon form of lung cancer that only about 4,000 people a year get. I had a tumor in my right lung that had been growing for some time. And five years ago, I stood in front of you and said, as far as I know, I'm healthy. I didn't know about this tumor that was growing. Through that entire process, 
facing uncertainty, Sue and I had a very clear sense that we were not alone or on our own. We are all going to face times of tremendous uncertainty, times that will test us and test our faith. I ended up having two of the three lobes of my right lung removed, but have a very good prognosis moving forward. The cancer had not spread or metastasized, and if you're going to have a, a lung cancer, you want the kind that decides to stay home as opposed to travel. But there's a clear sense from the rest that Jesus gives that we are not alone or on our own. And his rest also gives us a quiet confidence that God has specifically placed us somewhere within his garden. Now, the way that we hear this is by turning ourselves and listening for the words of Jesus. We have an opportunity to come to him and to learn from him. The most brilliant investor in the history of capitalism is a man who lives in Omaha, Nebraska by the name of Warren Buffett. And this month, Warren becomes or has become 87 years old. He gave people an opportunity to become his partner to invest with him in 1965. And if you had given him money in 1965 and hung with him through last year, you would have had an average annual return of 21% on your money. That's very high, actually 20.8%. So Mr. Buffett does something every year. He's done it for about the last 15 or 16 years. He gives people an opportunity to contribute to a charity and to have lunch with him. This coming October, the winning contribution to have lunch with Mr. Buffett was $2,680,000. Now, you're able to bring seven of your friends to join you for lunch. That's the ultimate way to kind of show off. What's Jesus offering us? Jesus is offering to give us the opportunity to come alongside of him and to learn from him. Jesus is the most brilliant, the smartest person who's ever walked on this planet. When we get together with Warren Buffett for $2.68 million, last year was just under $3.5 million. I'm sure it's a great meal. It's at a renowned steakhouse in Manhattan, but it's one and done. In other words, you eat, you ask your questions, you'd hope then your friends would shut up and let you ask all the questions. <laughs> but Jesus is a better offer than Warren Buffett. Let's take advantage of his opportunity. Now, here's how I do this. Here's how it works for me. I intentionally focus and turn my attention to him. One of the things that I'll do is I'll take a phrase that he has said, something from Scripture, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And I'll turn that over in my mind and I'll think about it. Then for weeks this summer, I took part of the Lord's Prayer Give us this day our daily bread. I could do probably a two-hour message on give us this day our daily bread. I've thought about it so much. I mean, stuff as I think about it. Jesus standing in, facing a great storm. Peace, be still. That's one of the ways that we can turn our attention toward Jesus and come to him. And often as I'm walking and reflecting and thinking, you'll hear that 
gentle, small voice. And God will speak to you. He'll bring courage. He'll give his peace. As we make room for rest, there's a great scripture in Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I love this. You're important to God. You matter to him. But you have a part and God has a part. Psalm 131 says, but I have stilled and quieted my soul. We need to do that. He's not going to force us. So here are three gauges to watch as you are attempting to make room for rest. It's the spiritual gauge, it's the emotional gauge, it's the physical. Spiritual, emotional, physical. Run on the top half of your tank, not on the bottom half. We're more prone to problems and difficulties and bad decisions when we're running on empty. Okay, we're going to go through some things real quick here. Susie Larson, our great friend, asked me once, I don't know if I ever answered your question, Susie, but I wrote it down. What gives you rest? What gives you joy? What gives you fulfillment? Let me give you some takeaway ideas to consider. Ask yourself what time of day you're the most productive and effective. Much of life consists of a half a dozen habits. Don't overcommit. Don't say yes to too many things. Be careful with your yeses. Find a pace of life that works for you and is sustainable. Here are my three questions. We had hundreds of sales executives in our company. Some were doing really, really well, and some were dealing with burnout or depression or exhaustion or in a slump. My three questions, when was your last day off? When was your last vacation? Tell me about your hobbies. I wish I could, you could look as you ask these questions. I mean, people often can't remember. Pastor Nate in the discussion guide this week in your connect groups says often the difference between hope and despair is eight hours of sleep. Get enough sleep. Don't expect life to be fair or easy. Sometimes it goes quicker than we expect, but sometimes it rains pitchforks and bowling balls. Don't be a workaholic. Live a multifaceted life. Life is not a marathon. It's a sprint. Sometimes it's a series of sprints with rests in between. Okay? And then please understand there are different seasons of life. Last night we had a season of life. We had a three-month-old and a three-year-old at our house. <laughs> Forgive. We all stumble in many ways. Endure hardship. Become competent. Life is too short, too long, rather, to be incompetent. And then take time to find your calling or your assignment. It's worth it. I'm going to end with Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Great passage. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the, at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. The best pathway possible is available to all of us if we take time and care enough to make it a priority to ask and make room for rest. As we begin to apply what we've heard, here are a couple of questions to consider. What's the one thing that you can do this week to reset your pace? 
What's the one thing that you can do this week to reset your pace? And finally, what habit can I change to help me be fully available for all God has for me? What one habit can I change to help me be fully available for all God has for me? Our worship teams are here to lead us as we reflect.